It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. The story of the UK is an economy that has got real momentum. What is broken can be repaired. What is ruined can be rebuilt. UK inflation is becoming much more homegrown. We have huge potential as an economy in the UK. This is a time to tell Israel there is a path to peace. Our plan for the British economy is working, but the work is not done. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Coming up on today's programme, well, it's Wednesday, so it's Prime Minister's Questions. Plenty on the agenda that the leaders can discuss. What will you be watching out for, Caroline? I mean, surely there'll be a word uh, on the King's cancer treatment. No doubt an opening line on that. But also maybe Liz Truss's launch of her new faction within the Tories uh, called Popular Conservatism, Pop comms for short launched yesterday i suspect keir starmer could take a pop at the prime minister on that pop cons to popcorn maybe today's prime minister's questions um, there has though been some good news on the property front because we know that housing and mortgages come up a lot in prime minister's questions if you're a homeowner it looks like property prices have bottomed out halifax reporting that house prices rose at their strongest pace since the middle of 2022 in january home prices rose by two and a half percent compared to the previous year so that's good news if you're a homeowner less good news i suppose if you're trying to buy and certainly not good news from another report from capital economics talking about rents soaring yeah absolutely so that on the property front i mean something though that i think will probably not get a mention but frankly i think is the more fascinating story is that bloomberg has crunched the numbers on migration so remember that the ons last week talked about migration likely to settle at historically high levels in the future Well, actually, it could mean a bigger boost for the UK economy going forwards. That won't please uh, Keir Starmer. Well, that won't please the Prime Minister. Let's listen in to the Labour leader, Keir Starmer. We all look forward to seeing him back to full health as quickly as possible. Mr Speaker, this week, the unwavering bravery of Brianna Jay's mother, Esther, has touched us all. As a father, I can't even imagine the pain that she's going through. And I'm glad that she's with us in the gallery here today. Mr Speaker, a year ago, the Prime Minister promised to bring NHS waiting lists down. Isn't he glad he didn't bet a grand on it? (laughs) Prime Minister. Mr Speaker. Mr. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, at least I stand by my commitments. He's so so indecisive, the only bet he'd make is an each-way bet. Well, Mr Speaker, he says he stands by his commitments. He once insisted, insisted, that if he missed his promises, these are the words he used, I'm the Prime Minister, and then he said, it's on me personally. 
Today we learn from his own officials that he's the blocker to any deal to end the doctor's strikes. Yep. And he's always, every time he's asked, he blames everyone else. So what exactly did he mean when he said it's on him personally if he doesn't meet his promise? Prime Minister. M- Mr Speaker, well, we are bringing the waiting list down for the longest waiters for making progress, but it's a bit rich, Mr Speaker, to hear about promises from someone who's broken every single promise he was elected on. I think I counted almost 30 in the last year. Pensions, planning, peerages, public sector pay, tuition fees, childcare, second referendums, defining a woman. Although, although in fairness, that was only 99% of a U-turn. The, the list goes on, but the theme is the same, Mr Speaker. It's empty words, broken promises and absolutely no plan. Of all, of, all the work, of all the weeks to say that, when Brianna's mother is in this chamber, shame, parading as a man of integrity when he's got absolutely no responsibility. Absolute. Of all... But either side. I, I think the member's getting carried away. Can I just say that our constituents want to hear the questions and they certainly want to hear the answers. They don't want to hear organised barracking. So please, I want no more. Keir Starmer. I think the role of the Prime Minister is to ensure that every single citizen in this country feels safe and respected. It's a shame the Prime Minister doesn't share that. I welcome the fact that he's finally admitted that he's failed on waiting lists in the NHS. I also welcome that he's finally acknowledged the crisis in NHS dentistry. He's calling it a recovery plan after 14 years of Tory government. What exactly does he think the NHS dentistry is recovering from? As, as ever, Mr Speaker, he, he seems to convene... Certainly not have enough of the front bench either. Please, I want to hear it. The election fever, I'm hoping, is not coming tomorrow, so let's not behave as the witness. Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, as ever, he conveniently forgets the impact of a pandemic on NHS dentistry, and it was specifically because of the close proximity nature of dental provision that it was unable to operate as normal throughout the pandemic. That was the recommendation of the medical and clinical experts, Mr Speaker, which is why inevitably there is a backlog in dental care and the impact that it has. But that's why, as the Honourable, my Honourable Friend, the Health Secretary, will outline later today for the House, we're putting more funding in to provide more NHS provision across the country, on top of plans that will see the number of dental training plans has increased by 40%, Mr Speaker. But I would actually just point out, our plans mean that there will be two and a half million more NHS appointments, which is in fact three times more than the Labour Party are proposing. Mr Speaker, there are some areas in the country where you literally can't have an NHS dentist. And he says that's down to Covid. People are literally pulling out their own teeth. Sorry. Can I just say... I don't need any more off this front bench either. Do we understand each other? Carry on, please stop. People are literally pulling their teeth out using pliers. It's an experience that can be compared with extracting an answer from the Prime Minister at this dispatch box. The truth is, 
after 14 years of neglect, this recovery plan is just a desperate attempt to try to recover back to square one. If he wanted to move forward, he should follow Labour, scrap the non-DOM tax status, use the money to fund two million more hospital appointments every year. But, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister is oddly reluctant to follow us on this. What exactly is so special about this tax avoidance scheme that the Prime Minister prioritises it above the NHS? Mr Speaker, let's look at that record. We've in the NHS record funding, record doctors and nurses, record number of appointments, higher cancer survival rates. But what's happening under Labour's watch in Wales, Mr Speaker? Let's have a look. A fifth fifth of people in Wales are currently on a waiting list. Waits of 18 months or more are ten times higher than that in England, and people are waiting twice as long for an operation. Their failure has sent the Welsh NHS back to square one, and we'll never let them do that here. Mr Speaker, when he admitted that he'd failed on waiting lists, I actually thought that we might be entering a new era of integrity, professionalism and accountability. Remember that one? But just like all the other relaunches, it's proved to be a false dawn, still blaming everyone else, still removed from reality. It's very simple. You can either back more NHS appointments or more tax avoidance. We know what side we're on. Why doesn't he? Mr Speaker, the best way to ensure that we continue to fund the NHS, as we have, is not to make £28 billion of unfunded spending commitments. And just this morning, independent Treasury officials have published a formal costing of just one part of their eco-promise, their insulation scheme, and it turns out that it will cost double what they had previously claimed. Not the £6 billion that Labour accounted for, but £13 billion every single year. It's now crystal clear they have absolutely no plan, but we all know how they're going to fund that gap. More taxes on hard-working people. Mr Speaker, this is Mr 25 tax rises. He's literally the country's expert on putting taxes up, and he thinks he can lecture everyone else on the economy. Last week, he and his MPs were laughing at someone whose mortgage had gone up £1,000 a month. This week, he's casually made a £1,000 bet in the middle of an interview. Last week, he thought even raising questions about the cost of living was, and I quote, resorting to the politics of envy. And this week, he's finally found the cause that he wants to rally around the non-DOM status. When he finds himself backing tax avoidance over NHS appointments, does he start to understand why his own MPs are saying he simply does not get what Britain needs? Mr Speaker, I'm not going to take any lectures about getting getting Britain from a man who thought it was right to defend terrorists, Mr Speaker. What we're doing is building a brighter future for our country. In just the last week, expanding health care in pharmacies. Today, expanding dental care. This week, helping millions with the cost of living. And most importantly, cutting national insurance. All while the Labour Party argue over 28 billion different ways to raise people's taxes. That's the difference between us. We're delivering a plan. They can't even agree on one. 
That was the Prime Minister and the Labour leader facing off at this week's Prime Minister's questions. I think we probably could have expected that Keir Starmer would have brought up that bet that Rishi Sunak made mm. with the TV presenter Piers Morgan that uh, £1,000 that Rwanda deportation flights would take off before the general election. I don't think we were expecting, though, what was the real uh, shocking moment, I think, of that Prime Minister's questions when the Prime Minister uh, made a comment about Rishi, uh, um, about Keir Starmer's stance on trans rights. This, while Keir Starmer had pointed out at the start of Prime Minister's questions that the mother of a transgender teenager was in the gallery um, and, and she had been listening into that exchange. Mm. Uh, and this was after two Shouts teenagers. of shame, basically. Yeah. Shouts of shame uh, across um, the chamber. Look, uh, I think that that was a very, uh, it was very difficult to try to make a joke at the expense of the opposition leader on such an immensely serious uh, topic that the murder of um, uh, of that transgender uh, teen, you know, having dominated coverage in the UK for, for many weeks and months. Um, but also, I think the comment from uh, the House Speaker that election fever is not coming tomorrow simply mm. underlines how testy, again, these exchanges are becoming. I mean, it does feel like they're ratcheting up intention. And there was a lot of talk of personal, personal responsibility was the accusation from Keir Starmer to the Prime Minister. And then the Prime Minister was sort of pushing it back the other way, saying, you know, what about your promises? Um, you know, you have absolutely no plan. It's empty words from the Labour leader. So, as I say, week by week, it feels like things are becoming increasingly testy. And it does make you wonder whether Rishi Sunak is is cracking under the pressure of that mm-hmm. from within his own party as well. I mean, the the bet with, with Piers Morgan was extremely poorly received afterwards and, and a thousand pounds after the cost of living crisis that we've had you know it does leave the prime minister open to Keir Starmer's accusation of you know being out of touch yeah. with ordinary people there was a moment um and again it's it's the thing is the the, the issues around Perhaps not everybody is focused on transgender rights. A lot of voters, though, are fully focused on the NHS, on dentistry. And that was the kind of bread and butter issue that was the the, the bedrock of this discussion. And they come back to questions of compassion as well and and how the the prime minister is being viewed as someone who cares, who is invested in, as he said, cutting NHS waiting lists Mm -hmm. when the problems are so difficult. And we know that there are so many people who are waiting to be seen for medical treatment. And and the the defence of pointing to the NHS in Wales and the problems that exist there, of course, under a Labour-run government uh, in Wales, don't seem to be deflecting from the bigger problem, which is that people are still accessing problems, having problems accessing treatment. Yeah, absolutely. Although the dentistry issue, um, the the severe lack of dentistry, I mean, something that we devoted a whole programme to um, on the Bloomberg um, Politics podcast, is from the Prime Minister's perspective, also one of the pandemic. And I do think that that's a point, you know, sort of f- well made, um, that, that part of the issue was was the difficulty of getting dentistry delivered during during that pandemic issue. Yeah, so I mean, as ever, we find ourselves in a Prime Minister's questions as they have been stepping up over past weeks and mm. months as well as we move towards the election, becoming as much about tone as they are about mm. content. Rishi Sunak, you know, used his, his usual lines back to square one with Labour, broken promises, yes. no plan. We heard all the usual lines coming from the Prime Minister, but the question of, of tone and certainly the... Uh, 
ferocity of exchanges between the two leaders as well is something we're likely to see an awful lot more of in the coming months. Yeah, too. and I wonder whether Keir Starmer's line, Mr. 25 tax rises, will that cut through to yeah. voters? Who, of course, are you know very much concerned about still the cost of living, inflation, when we're going to see um, the Bank of England cut interest rates, which sort of takes us on to our next conversation. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about some new research from the National Institute of Economic and Social Research, known as NISER, predicting that UK households will start to feel a bit better off this year. Crucially, that improvement in living standards of around 1.5% over the next two years is expected to kick in before the election. We've been talking about this with the Deputy Director of NISER, Stephen Millard. We started off by asking him what's behind the predicted improvements in UK households' fortunes. So um, it's two things, really. One is uh, wages, which uh, will continue to rise. And in particular, uh, the national, the increases in the national living wage, national minimum wage will kick in. Uh, against that, the rate of inflation itself is falling, has fallen quite dramatically. So it's now right down around the Bank of England's target, and we expect it to remain there over the next couple of years. So higher wage growth, lower price growth in prices, so people will feel better off. Okay, so will everyone feel better off, though, to the same extent? Because you've underlined that the poorest households will actually see much slower improvement. No, this is this is true. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, the poorest households have been the ones that were most badly hit by the cost of living crisis. And so their real incomes uh, relative to uh, pre-COVID have actually fallen by more uh, than other other households um, and the uh, growth in real income uh, standard of living uh, for them will be just a little bit slower than than for others but it is definitely improving you know they, there's the question too of, of how much people will will feel in this data as well one and a half percent doesn't sound like a huge difference do you think that people will genuinely notice feeling better off? by the latter half of the year when we're expecting the election to happen? Well, that is the $6 million question. Uh, um, People will notice that their wages are uh, going up, that their incomes are going up faster than prices, I think. Will that mean that they'll necessarily feel better off? I mean, given, as you say, that incomes are rising, or real incomes are rising by so little, it's it's not clear that they will necessarily. Uh, but, uh, uh, But we will have to wait and see. Okay, so we'll see um, whether people notice it, how much they notice it. You've also got some insights, though, into you know your view on the economy, on inflation, which a lot of people still see and expect to be actually pretty volatile, and then also economic growth. That that is still, you know, perhaps Britain's biggest challenge. Absolutely. Uh, so we think the economy was actually in recession at the back end of last year with. Uh, uh, real output falling. We expect real output to grow over the coming year, but by less than 1%. So it's really slow uh, growth of the economy. And it's been like that for a while. And uh, we expect, unfortunately, that it's going to continue like that for the foreseeable future with a trend growth rate now of only 1%. On the inflation side of things, yes, inflation is going to drop very quickly in the first half of this year, but then it's going to be quite volatile Um, over the coming months after that. It will probably uh, drop to something around 1.5% or so. 
then bounce back to something a little bit over two and then keep bouncing. But it will remain relatively close to the 2% target that the Bank of England uh, is targeting. Talk us through as well your your outlook for where you think interest rates are going to go because you see them settling at quite a quite a high level. Well, um, I mean there are two two aspects to that. So one is that we see interest rates falling uh, from May of this year, and and that's got to be good news in particular for mortgage holders. Uh, as you say, we we see them settling at around about three and a quarter percent. Now, whether you, you think that's a high level. Um, <laughs> It is relative to the decade, I guess, that of the run into COVID, but it's much more what you might consider to be normal levels of, of interest rates. And we're in that sense in line with the market that has actually adjusted its view on uh, where interest rates will settle down towards where where we were always thinking they were going to settle. One of the things that it, it kind of when we're thinking of this in a context of being in the run-up to election, one of the things your report points out is the regional discrepancies between parts of the UK that are going to feel this bounce of living standards and those that aren't. Can you highlight some of the underperforming regions for us as we're thinking of sports, how that might affect voter voters' intentions? Uh, well, it's the Midlands, really, that have, have been struggling relative to the other regions. Um, and this to a large extent is to do with the exposure of that area of the country to trade and of course trade has uh, been quite badly affected by brexit and uh, it's the midlands where where you see that uh, actually happening the other regions they've all now recovered to where they were pre-covid uh, london as ever is uh, leading the way but um, but really it, it, it's the midlands who have been feeling the pinch how do you think that um, the government, either this government or the next government, can actually build on these improvements? Um, you know, we are not quite in electioneering, but we're pretty close to that now. Can the government do anything further to turn things around swiftly? And what are the policy prescriptions then, you know, that you talk about pretty frequently for the next government? Well, I, I think... Um the government could uh, decide if it wanted to uh, generate a boom in the year of an election, it could decide to cut taxes. But we think that would not be a very sensible thing to do uh, at this juncture. We think what the government should be doing is thinking more about the longer term um, beyond, if you like, the general election. And we think it should be taking steps to tackle our long-term growth issues. And the key aspect of that is public investment, investment in infrastructure, investment in education, investment in healthcare, which for a decade or more has has been woefully low in this country. So that will be what we will be pushing for. Uh, the other thing we'd like to see actually quite urgently is um, some extra additional funds for local authorities, given the, the number that are fairly close to uh, bankruptcy at the minute. That seems something that needs to be done pretty quickly. Um, but it, but again, the main the and, main issue is trying to build up the capacity for growth in the future. And if you were to score it, how likely do you think it is that the, the, the Sunak government will deliver on that? As you say, huge pressure on local councils. Well, I, I would be very surprised if there were not uh, some additional funding going into local uh, local councils. I think this is pretty... Uh, is a pretty clear priority at the minute. On the public investment thing, I think that's, uh, I, I would 
suggest that that was possibly less likely. Again, it's an election year, and uh, my suspicion is that the government will try and engineer some kind of feel-good factor via tax cuts. But you're I, looking I for a target of... Sorry to, to talk across this even, but you're looking for a target of 4% of GDP for public investment. When was the last time the UK invested at that level? Uh, that is a very good question. I'm going to have a guess, that, but it is unfortunately a guess, that it was probably back in the 1970s, perhaps even earlier than that. It's, um, public investment has been, has been low for, a, for decades now. That said... Um, we expect over the fiscal year that we're in at the minute, uh, public investment to uh, reach 3.8% of GDP, so almost at 4% now. Uh, so it's really a case of just maintaining that level of public investment as opposed to what was in the autumn statement, which is that that, that level of investment fell off as a percentage of GDP. So that's Stephen Miller, the Deputy Director of NISA, speaking to us a little bit earlier about the report looking at the improvement in uh, UK households mm. living standards due to come. As we're all be breathing a sigh of relief very soon by the sounds of things there as well. I didn't mean to stump him with that question about when the historically last <laughs> hit 4%. Uh, I'm, quite, I'm quite sure that he's right that it was as far back as the 1970s. But I suppose the idea of you say something like 4% of GDP like... Uh, what does that mean? Yeah, yes. I mean, it, it, uh, I, I, it, what I was interested in, what I was trying to get at was, as was how far away we are from that now and when it was last done and as he pointed out actually spending is not very far off it now um, but but historically it's been quite a long time and of course that has a cumulative effect Yeah, um, look it also, I think this is hugely important, right? Um, and that's why we asked Stephen the question about whether actually voters are going to feel better off or not. Because, you know, we've been saying for many, many months that the general election is probably going to be fought on the basis of the economy, how people are feeling financially in terms, you know, of inflation, of food prices, as well as all the other um, issues, crime and the NHS and so on. But it's totally a fascinating and NISA that has been quite, you know, is often quite critical of government. Um, um, you know, and of policies that the the UK's um, attempted, and really does want to see things like more economic growth and better uh, distribution mm. of wealth across the country. That they are saying perhaps there is a little chink of of light, although it comes with a huge number of caveats too. Yes, indeed, and of course we won't know until we get the latest OBR forecast exactly how much money the government has to spend uh, in ahead of the budget on the sixth of March. Anyway, but that's it from us for today. If you like the program, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so other people can find it on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by Tiwa Adebayo. Our audio engineer was Maruful Hussain. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.